two scripture readings this morning. The first one is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 6. The second is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Hear the words of God from Matthew. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And from Luke. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood up at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of God for the people of God. When I was in high school, a senior in high school, I walked into my varsity basketball coach's office and said, Coach Mills, if they just make me president for a year, I could fix all of our problems. I was 18, didn't even need a full term, mind you, just a year. And I'll I'll not soon forget what, what Coach Mills said back to me. It was very wise. He said, Rob, everybody thinks they have all the answers. That is part of the problem. The next year I went to college, realized not only did I not have all the answers, but most of the time I didn't even understand the questions. Jesus said it this way, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I want to ask a question that's going to carry us through our time together this morning, and the question is simply this, what does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean to be righteous? Now, there are still some moments in my life where I fall back into that place that I think I have all the answers. And there may be some people in this room who think that knowing what is righteous is easy to do. Well, the good news is this sermon's for you <laughs> this morning. Uh, I, I want to walk through some of the things that, that Jesus told us, but to do this and to talk about righteousness, I first want to ask this question. Do you think we could generally agree when it comes to righteousness that we shouldn't murder? It bothers me a little bit that there wasn't more of a unanimous response to that question. <laughs> you are in agreement that we, sh- we shouldn't be murdering each other, Right? Yes, all right, praise the, hey, common, common ground, that's a good place to start, church. 
Jesus, Jesus actually talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount, greatest statement on ethics in the history of the world. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, You've heard it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is an Aramaic word that means I have contempt for you. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of hell fire. Now, Jesus does something really interesting in this text. I didn't see it until this time around. I've read this text a hundred times. I didn't notice it. Jesus is telling us, he said, I don't just want you to avoid the end of hate. You know, hate, when it runs its full course, hate ultimately leads to the destruction of, of the object of our hate. The last stop on the train of hatred is the destruction of the one we hate. We could call it murder. Jesus says, I don't just want you to avoid the end of hate. I want you to avoid the beginning of it too. I don't even want you to be angry with one another. And if you are angry with one another, go and seek reconciliation with one another. This isn't some obscure Levitical text. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And the irony is, the irony is that throughout history, people who have claimed the mantle of Christ, the church itself, has talked about the unrighteousness of other people in ways that condemn them and call them fools. We can't participate in hate and anger. We can't call others fools in the name of righteousness. We can't do it. Jesus said so, and all of this tells me that maybe I have to stop watching football. I'll start tomorrow. (laughs) I can't be righteous if I'm harboring anger at the other. Here's another question about righteousness. Is it right to defend myself against someone who would do me harm? Is it right to defend myself against someone who would do me harm? Look at what Jesus has to say later in Matthew chapter 5. He said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evildoer. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to them also. If anyone wants to sue you, to take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Some, some translations say underwear. I like that translation better. Oh, you want my coat? I got something else for you, right? <laughs> You've heard it was said, oh, if, if anyone forced you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks of you. Don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I just want to make a, an important distinction here for us this morning. Jesus is talking about our interpersonal actions in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he's not talking about the holy office of defending another when they're in harm's way. Uh, to, to strengthen that language, one of the early church fathers, a guy by the name of Thomas Aquinas, was talking one time about uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which begins with a guy who's walking down a road and people jump him and they beat him to within an inch of his life. And, and Aquinas says, he says, if you're the person walking down the road who is being beaten, you have the right to give your life for the gospel. You do. You put your hands behind your back and let them beat you to oblivion in the hopes that through your passive resistance they will see something different. That even the enemy, the offender, would see your act of grace. 
and be changed. You have the right to give your life to the gospel, for the gospel. But he went on to say, if you're walking down a road and you see somebody else being beaten within an inch of your life, their lives, he said you don't have a right to give that person's life for the gospel. What I want to say about this is, uh, we have some women and men in this room who have sacrificed some of you almost all of your lives in the holy office of trying to protect others. I'm grateful for that. I truly am. Jesus isn't talking about that. Jesus is talking about our personal interactions. And Jesus says, when someone offers offense to us in a personal way, when someone offers offense to us, the way we're supposed to respond to that person is with grace. And that could, that could feel weak to us sometimes. If someone offends me, if they really hurt me, I respond with grace. But you see, grace isn't weakness. Grace is not weakness. Grace is God's ultimate tool. It is the greatest weapon in God's arsenal. It is through grace God transforms enemies into friends. And it's through grace that we do the same. Perhaps it's an angry email. A disrespectful comment, a Facebook post we just can't get out of our minds and our tendency is to fire back. Our tactic is escalation, but Jesus commands us to do something different. He said when others offend us, we respond with grace rather than violence, with love rather than hate. And when we do so, we change the nature of the conversation and the disagreement. Because it is true, yes, that grace has the power to transform those who would be our enemies into those who would be our friends. But that's not all grace transforms. Grace also transforms the giver of grace. It transforms me from being a victim to a victor. Grace is the greatest tactic of love. So what does it mean to be righteous? Final Conversation around righteousness I want to invite us to consider centers on judgment. Most of us would agree that it is not appropriate for us to sit in moral judgment of those around us. What strikes me, though, is the, the strength of the language Jesus uses. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 1-5, through 5, Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eyes and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? This is funny. It is. It's funny. We don't think that it's funny because Jesus said it and he's not supposed to be funny. But can you imagine if I walked up to Montgomery and had this thing sticking out of my face? Right? And I was like, hey man, I think you, I think you have something in your eye. Right? Jesus, why would you do that? Why would you do that? First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you can see to help take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, is Jesus... Jesus' statement against judgment, does that mean, for example, that if I have a friend who is killing themselves with substance abuse, that I just have to stand by and watch them take pills until they die? Because to speak up about it would would make me guilty of judging them? No. Part of the role of the Church of Jesus Christ is to offer people a better way of life. But I think what Jesus is very clearly saying to us is that when it comes to addressing the shortcomings in another, we must be very, very, very careful because we all have shortcomings. So back to the question at hand. What is righteousness? Here's the takeaway. If you're a note taker, get ready to write. Here it is. Righteousness isn't simply about 
being right. It's also about being reconciled to God and to one another. Righteousness isn't simply about being right. It's about being reconciled. Look at the things we have seen Jesus say in this greatest statement on ethics in the history of the world. He says, don't just avoid murder. Avoid hate, the very beginning of it. Be reconciled to those with whom you disagree. Jesus says, don't strive to conquer enemies, but instead offer grace. Be reconciled to them. Jesus said, don't sit in judgment of others. Instead, see that all of you are united by shared need for my love, my forgiveness. And be reconciled by moving together. Jesus is very, very clear to pursue righteousness. We also must pursue reconciliation. Not only with God, with each other. It's not enough to be right. Particularly if in the holding of my right opinion, I live with anger and enmity and judgment for another. I can't be righteous if all I'm concerned about is being right. Max Licato tells a great story about taking his daughters uh, to a Chuck E. Cheese-like place where there's a ball pit. Have you, you ever been to one of these places before? You ever seen one of these things? It's like a swimming pool filled with little plastic balls, red and yellow balls. Have you seen these? And he said his oldest daughter just, did just fine, but his little girl, uh, she was kind of getting swallowed by the balls, Right? And she, he looked at her and she had this big handful of all these balls and she said, Honey, you've, you've got to do it like you do in a swimming pool. You've got to, you've got to swim with your, your hands and your feet. And she said back to him, But Daddy, if, if I swim with my hands, I have to let go of all my balls here. Our society is sinking. And sometimes the only thing that Rob is concerned about is hanging on to my right opinions. But I can't claim to be right. Or for that matter, righteous. If I continue to hold on to the strife that is pulling my society down. Our society teaches us that we need to take stands on issues. In fact, there are arms of political movements on, on every side of issues. That the, Their job is to look for what's called wedge issues that drive us apart. And we've been programmed, we've been taught, programmed over and over again that what we have to do is we've got to be right on the issue. Jesus says it's actually more important to be righteous. The difference is that righteousness means I have to care more about the person than the problem. Part of being the change that God calls the church of Jesus Christ to be in the world involves placing priority on relationships over problems and issues. Let me address this with a slight nuance. 
Is my heart at war or is my heart at peace? A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Mark introduced a book to you called The Anatomy of Peace written by the Arbinger Institute. I want to add my strongest recommendation that I possibly can. This is the best book I've read in two years and I read a lot of books. It's a great book. And at the core of this book is a question. Is my heart at war or is my heart at peace? And the heart at war sees others as problems, sees them as issues that need to be solved and dealt with. But the heart of peace sees the other as a person who needs to be loved. The difference between the heart of war and the heart of peace is how I see the other. Do I see them as a problem that needs solving or a person who deserves love? One final story comes from Luke chapter 18. I I want to share this story with you, not only for the content of the story that's important, I also want you to see how Dr. Luke introduces the story in Luke 18 verse 9. He says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Translation. To those who were only concerned about being right. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all I get, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Who was righteous, church? Who was righteous? Righteousness wasn't about having the right opinions. Righteousness wasn't about knowing what was right or simply undertaking right action. The Pharisee may have been right, but Jesus declares the tax collector righteous. What made the tax collector righteous? He fell to his knees and beat his chest. The tax collector sought reconciliation. The Pharisee sought to further division. My friends, the function of the church of Jesus Christ isn't simply to teach morality to the world if we think morality is simply adherence to a set of rules. We tried that. It didn't work. The task of the church isn't to offer a new moral code. Our task is to offer reconciliation, which comes in relationship only with Jesus Christ and with each other. Yes, yes, I want to teach my children, and yours if you'll let me. I want to teach them how to live abundant, beautiful lives. But we don't do it by resurrecting the Ten Commandments, because the Ten Commandments said, all you have to do is avoid murder. Jesus said, no, no, no. I don't want you to avoid the end of hate. I want you to avoid the beginning of it. Jesus says we should enter into relationships with people who make our blood boil because they make our blood boil and seek reconciliation. That's a hard gospel. There is no righteousness without reconciliation and if we take the teaching of Jesus Christ seriously that reconciliation isn't simply between myself and God it also involves reconciliation with the people around me I cannot honestly think of myself as righteous if I use my right opinions to sit in anger, enmity and judgment one final note 
It's interesting to me that what Jesus commands us to do in the Sermon on the Mount is exactly what Jesus does on the cross. He looks at people who thought they were his enemies. He looked at those who wanted to murder him. He looked at those who were filled with hate. And he said, Father, forgive them because they don't understand. What is righteousness? Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does it mean? It means that we long not only for the world to be right, but also for the world to be reconciled. To God, to one another. I wonder, can you see it? Can you see it? We are, our, our vision, our vision is filled with a society that is angry and disillusioned and disjointed and separated. I wonder if the church of Jesus Christ can truly see a better way. A world where God's people refuse to give in to anger simply because someone disagrees with us. Where we offer grace to those who would seek to do us harm. A world where God's children seek not to sit in judgment, but to be reconciled to God and to one another. That's how God is calling us to be changed today. And to do that, we have to see down deep in our souls that the most important thing isn't being right about an issue. The most important thing is to be reconciled to God and one another and something amazing will happen when we do that. We'll start to find solutions to our problems. For when we hunger and thirst for the kind of righteousness Jesus Christ described, we shall be filled. Would you pray with me? Holy One, forgive us, forgive me, for the moments in my life that I I thought it was enough to be right. When you came to reconcile, you came to help us see beyond our individual opinions to a greater, greater truth that we are your children, redeemed from our failures by your acts of love and grace healed by your mighty hand. Help us be the change, O God. Help us see others not for the issues or problems that they present, but as people. Help us to seek to love as we have been loved. Help us to hunger and thirst for a true form of righteousness so that we and the world around us might finally be filled. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. 
we pray them with great expectation. And all of God's people said, Amen.